Well, good morning this morning. We want to continue talking about the C4 principle. And specifically, we want to give you more examples from Scripture about what the C4 prince or the finding the C4 principle in Scripture and about how to hopefully uh, get more ideas about how to apply it, how to think about it. So just a reminder, this is all teaching from my book called the C4 Principle. C4 Principle stands for Calling, Character, Capability, Commissioning. This is a biblical tool. It's a biblical principle for how to align with the call of God for your life. It's wonderful that God calls us, and then he, he guides us into that calling. So that's what this principle is all about. So, so far, we've uh, covered... Uh, the first few chapters of the book, we've talked about uh, thinking Christianly, the importance of having a Christian worldview to be able to live well in life. We've talked about uh, good works. What are good works? It's very easy today to be confused about that because we think good. we know what good works is, but there's a biblical understanding of it that needs to be captured if you're really going to see the principles in this book correctly. So I, I talk about that. So we've been through that. Last time we explained the C4 principle, and I used Acts chapter 6 as an example. In the seminar, I used a different text. I used a text in Exodus where they selected the people to build the tabernacle. So uh, just providing a little variety of approaches of how to see this. And then today we want to talk about the C4 principle illustrated. And this is uh, five different texts where you will find the C4 principle. So the, the first one I want to point you to is the one we used last time to explain it. And that is the text in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 is the text where you have the first ecclesia struggling. They're having a problem. And it's so interesting when you have a problem, um, you know, in an early the early church that was seemingly so doing so well in so many ways. It was a church that was committed to suffering for Christ, which I don't know if there are churches around like that today or not, but they had that first local ecclesia was committed to that. It was also an ecclesia that knew how to use money correctly. Again, I don't see many ecclesias that display great financial stewardship or financial or great biblical thinking about money, but they did. Uh, and it was also a church that had a very high standard. Uh, you remember when Ananias and Sapphira uh, brought their, their gift to the church, claiming that it was everything, when in reality it was not. They lied. And they didn't have to bring everything. They could have brought whatever they wanted to. It was pr their private property that was acknowledged, but they came claiming it was everything. And that was con considered to be an egregious sin, and they died. Now, that's a bar we probably don't see much today. Perhaps it's, it's telling us that that first ecclesia was held to a higher standard of accountability than we are today because they had more revelation, more understanding, more ability, more power to walk with God than perhaps we commonly see today. So this was a, a really unusual ecclesia compared to what we normally see today, but yet they had a problem. And this problem was the food distribution wasn't handled correctly. So we we went through how the the C4 principle was used to solve this problem and put things in order and how that accelerated the growth and the even the evangelism of the first ecclesia. So it's a powerful text. 
So I encourage you, if you want to go back and to listen to that again, go back to the to last month's teaching and you'll find that. So today I want to move on and give you some more examples. Just remind you that what we're talking about here is the C4 principle. It's the principle to find your race. I love Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 as a great picture of life. We are all called to a race that God has defined. We don't get to define it. We can only run it well when we recognize Jesus defined our lives. He is the one that sustains us in our lives. And he's the ultimate goal of our lives is to bring glory to him. So that's what we're all charged to do. And to do this well, we have to get rid of sin in our lives. Now, we will never do that perfectly, but we should be always seeking to recognize the sin and to deal with that sin. So the text reads, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here you see Jesus, as part of his race, had to endure some great pain and suffering and abuse and being misunderstood and being rejected. A lot of the things that we have to endure today, he endured them to run his race. He is our model. And we, to run our race like Jesus, have got to recognize that sin that stands in the way. So that's the big challenge for all of us is the sin issue. As the sin issue is resolved, then we can move forward and run our race to the glory of God. So in the seminar, the way I teach this is I introduce this principle using the text in Exodus chapter 35, 30, verse 2, 36, verse 2. Now, this is the text where Moses is commissioning the building of the tabernacle. Obviously, God has directed him and told him how to do it. In fact, Moses at one point was told to make it according to the pattern. So clearly, he got the plans and specifications for doing this from the Lord. And now, the, the, the charge that, that Moses has is to build it. And the first thing you've got to do is find the construction crew. Well, who's going to build it? So he identifies this is the way that you are. And I'm talking about Moses is telling the Israelites, this is the way you identify the construction crew. You're going to find people that have this FC4 to do this. And the way he expresses it, it says, see the Lord has chosen, that is call it, call or calling, Bezeli, son of Ur, and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with the spirit of God. So there you see calling and chosen, and being filled with the spirit of God means you have great character. And then he says, with skill and ability and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, that's capability. So they've got calling, character, capability to do this. And then if you go on down, it talks about how these men and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given skill and ability. So you can see the C4 principle is not just for the leaders. It's for every, every person, because to do this, you had to be a skilled person. 
So they're skilled and were given the skill and ability to carry out all the work of constructing the sanctuary are to do the work just as the Lord has commanded. That's commissioning. Calling, to think about calling as, as a calling to. So God calls you to a work, but he calls you to himself, and then he commissions you to do the work. So calling is a calling to God. Commissioning is what we're sent out by God to do. And what equips us to do it is godly character and the requisite skills to do it. So that's the C4 principle illustrated in the selection of the construction crew for building the tabernacle. Okay, another place you will see it is in the appointment of the leadership of the ecclesia. There are three texts, primary texts, that talk about ecclesia government. 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, and 1 Peter chapter 5. Each of these texts gives us traits for what you're looking for. I'm just going to read the Titus text very quickly, and that's the one I've got in the middle column. You can see the far left-hand column has got calling, character, capability, and commissioning in four successive rows. And now you have the next column over, you've got the Titus text, and I've just picked out the traits. And you'll notice in Titus, there's he doesn't specifically focus on a calling trait there. He does in Timothy and Peter. But in Titus, the big focus is on character and secondarily capability. So I'm going to read the text, and you'll be able to hear as I read, and you'll be able to see these texts, these traits that I have pointed out to you here in the table. He said, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And Paul is writing to his spiritual son, Titus. He said, the reason I left you in Crete was to set right what was left undone, and as I directed you to appoint elders in every town. An elder must be blameless, the husband of one wife, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion. See, there is talking about the capability of, of household government, um, able manager and an able parent. And then he talks about an elder must be blameless. That is above reproach. The husband of one wife, this is a male married to a female and only one female, with faithful children who are not accused of wildness or rebellion, again, a reference to your parenting skills. As an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. So he comes back to the same idea. He repeats blameless twice here. And then he tells you what blameless looks like. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, not greedy for money, but... So those are all don'ts, and now here are the do's. Hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, righteous, holy, self-controlled, holding to the faithful message as taught, so that he may be able to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. So these are powerful traits and you can see the last two traits, which are basically to see, teach sound truth and to refute error. So those are big, big tips about capability that elders should have. They should be able to do that. 
So you can see as you go down this that all of these traits in the Titus text are in the C4 or can be categorized in the C4 principle. Well, likewise, you can go through 1 Timothy 3 and 1 Peter 5 verses 1 through 5, and you will see the same thing here. If you start looking at 1 Peter 3 uh, about the qualifications for deacon, uh, you're going to see it's pretty much the same thing. The elder is the overseer, uh, and the deacon is the one in charge of the the practical things that have to happen, the functioning of the community. The elders are providing oversight, direction, accountability, and the de the deacons are executing according to as the directions of the elders. So. These are powerful principles in powerful concepts in these texts, and all of them can be categorized in the C4 principles. So you see 1 Peter 3, 1 Timothy 3, and 1 Peter 5. The traits from those two texts are categorized in the third category, and again, they all fall within the C4 concept. So when you look at the thing altogether, all four concepts are there. Calling, character, capability, commissioning, and by far the most relate to character. Now, I think there's a big picture here for us. I think this is telling us how, how absolutely critical character is. We all probably have, have examples, have seen examples of very capable people failing because of character flaws. This is very common. It, it seems to be a regular occurrence among church leaders today. They're falling like flies, and it's always some kind of moral failure. And I've heard in recent days church leaders trying to come back from their fallen state and rationalize their sin. One of the most egregious examples of this was a couple of years ago when I I heard that a, a church leader was going to attend a conference and speak at a conference. This church leader had had a moral failure about five years prior, and that moral failure was, was sexual infidelity. So I was very curious about how he was going to justify this. So prior to the conference, uh, I read an article about him, and he had been interviewed by a Christian publication and asking about his return to teaching and leading in the Ecclesia. And the way he was defending his return it was he was trying to deny that he had done anything wrong. And what he said is, what I did was mutually consensual, meaning that the, the woman he had had the illicit relationship with had consented to it. She had wanted it, he had wanted it, and he said that was okay. Now, that is not true. That is not okay. That's not the biblical standard, mutual consent. The biblical standard is very clear. 1 Corinthians 6 is probably as explicit as you're going to find. It says sexual relationships are, are not permitted in any context except one, and that is the divine covenant of marriage, period. So, when you and the marriage is defined between a man and a woman, period. It's very tightly defined, and yet he's trying to rationalize. This is what's happening over and over again. This illustrates how character flaws torpedo our calling. They torpedo us running our race. 
So we have to be very humble, submitted and teachable, and very focused on building godly character. Now, if this is true of the church, could it be true of how leaders ought to function in every organization? Can you imagine if you have a criteria like this, the criteria for church leader, you bring that and say, that's going to be my criteria for the leaders of my organization. Think about that. That would be a great standard. What would be wrong with that standard? I can't, I can't think of anything that could be wrong with it and everything that could be right about it because it would be a really high bar. Now, the thing you're thinking is probably, wow, I'd never find a leader. Who could ever meet this standard? Yes, the standard is very, very high. But I think you have to be clear what you're shooting for. You may not get one that meets everything to the T, but the more you can get aligned with these these principles, these traits that you see in Titus, 1 Timothy 3, and 1 Peter 5, the more you can align with that, I think the better your leader is likely to be. So I think I would commend this to you. This may sound strange, but I think this is not just the principle of ecclesia leadership. I think this is the principle of leadership, period. Use the C4 principle. Let these traits guide you into who's got C4 to be a leader for any organization. Now, that is challenging. That is normally, most people uh, use terminology that's common today, suck air. Like, uh, like, wow, how can you do that? That's just so incredibly hard. Well, may the Lord give you grace. You know, we have to be committed to living like Jesus if we're Christians. And when you look at how Jesus lived and you really look at it hard, you realize no one could live at that level. But we don't suck air at that. We, we try. We need to realize we have a standard. It's Jesus. If Jesus were a leader, this is what he would look like. And we need to know this is how we need to approach leadership and not let it overwhelm us and not let it make, you know, look so impossible. It's always impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So press in and may the Lord give you grace to apply this. Some other texts where you see this principle, this is one of one of the most interesting ones to me, uh, because this is a this is a pagan authority figure. You see, remember, commissioning is about authority figures. It's about authority figures directing you into what you're called to do. And generally, people think you have to be commissioned by a Christian authority figure. Well, in this case, this is not a Christian authority figure. This is a pagan priest. He is definitely an unbeliever. He happens to be Moses's father-in-law. So he, on some level, he has authority over Moses as a father-in-law. And so Moses has led the people of God out of Egypt, delivering them from bondage as God had promised, taking on the way to the promised land as God had promised. And Moses's wife, two children, he had left behind with his father-in-law. Now, you may recall that before Moses was called at age 80, think about that. Suppose your greatest aspect of your call happens at age 80, then he had left his family with his father-in-law. So now Moses has gone to Egypt, done what he was supposed to do, brought his people, brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're in the desert. The father-in-law brings Moses' family for a visit. So that's what Exodus, uh, the first part there is talking about that visit. 
So that's verses uh, 1 through 13. So I better start with verse 14. And what's happening here is after they had uh, spent an evening together and had a night's sleep and had a nice visit, catch up and everything, the next day, uh, Moses gets up to start his normal day. So basically, you see Jethro watching this. As he's watching Moses, well, read. I'm going to read verse 13. I don't have it on the slide, but I'm going to read it to you to set this up. The next day, Moses sat down to judge the people, which is what he was doing every day. And they sit around Moses from morning to evening. So Jethro watches this. So Jethro then comes to Moses, apparently sometime late in the day. And he says, what is this just you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? For all the people stand around you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God when they have a dispute. They come to me, and I decide between one person or another, and I make them know the statues of God and the laws. Now Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, this pagan priest, said to him, what you're doing is not good. You See, he had the ability to recognize this was not lighting up with God, even though he didn't know God. God gave, gave him the common grace to see reality. So he says, you and the people will, will, with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. So a commissioning agent gives direction. A commissioning agent, uh, it's, even though he says, I will give you advice, he's really giving him a directive. And here's what he says. You shall present the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes of the laws and to make known them the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So you will do that, Moses, but here's how you're going to do it. So now we go to verse 21. He's going to get the directive. See, now he's going to give them the C4 principle to deputize people to help them. So here's what he says. Moreover, look for able men. See, now this is still Jethro talking. So look means that you are a caller is always looking for the right people. Able men, those are capable men from the people, men who fear God, they have godly character and who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, more character. And now place such men over the people commissioning. So you see calling, character doubled, capability commissioning right here. That's the qualification for a C4, uh, C4 leader. So these people are chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. You have levels like courts, a courts of appeal, and then the judge the people. They judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. So only the most difficult things will come to you. But any small matter, they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. This is Jethro still talking. You will be able to endure, and all the people also will go to their place in peace. There will be peace among the community, and you will be able to guide them to the promised land, which is their place, and they will go there in peace. So you can see he recognizes the strategic nature that, that Moses must serve. You can't think about the strategy, the strategic 
purpose of how to get to the promised land if all you're doing is dispute resolution. But if you deputize people, like I'm telling you, you'll be able, you'll have peaceful people and those people will be able to strategically led, be led by you to the promised land and they will enter in peace. So this is a powerful principle for guiding people into alignment with God and even pagans can see the principle in general revelation. As far as we know, Jethro had no special revelation, no scripture. He was able by the grace of God through common grace to see it in general revelation. That's an amazing reality. You can see the principle as a pagan just in creation itself, as well as we can see it in scripture. So it's revealed in both places. That's powerful. Well, the next one is, I'm not going to take the time to do this, but I encourage you to read this. This is uh, J David being selected to be the musician for Saul after Saul had been rejected and was under the judgment of God and being was tormented by an evil spirit. Then there was a way for him to get relief, and that relief would be music. And so there needed to be a musician selected to to serve Paul when that spirit would come upon him and play the music and that would give him relief. And so the way that that scripture records that that musician is selected is the C4 principle. And the person selected was, was David. David, who would be king one day, served the king, which that's a great picture. And the C4 principle was a tool to select David to serve in that purpose. Well, let me give you one final text. This is the C4 principle for creative work. Now, let me give you a final text. This is C4 principle for government leadership. You know, we, we looked at marketplace leadership. That was, you saw that um, in uh, Acts 6. Uh, we also saw the leadership principle generally in, the, in church leadership that applies, I think, to all jurisdictions. And now we have government leadership specifically. It's a very simple text out of Psalm 78. And it reads, he, that is the Lord, chose David. Now you immediately recognize choosing is calling. So God called David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nurse, nursing uh use he brought him to shepherd jacob his people so you see he brought him means that he commissioned him so he chose him and he brought him or he sent him to shepherd the people of israel israel is inheritance when with an upright heart you can see an upright heart would be godly character. He shepherded them and guided them with a skillful hand. That would be capability. So you can see all four components of there describing David as a government leader for the people of God. So here are the texts that I wanted you to see and recognize the C4 principle is not only found in building the tabernacle in, the, in Exodus. It's found in multiple other texts. It's even found in general revelation so it's both in special and general revelation and you don't have to have a christian to use it pagans can have the common grace to use it as well if you find a pagan organization that is an organization led and run by pagans that is fairly fruitful and lasts a long time for example an organization like congo gumi 
who was the longest running organization in history, as far as we know. It lasted almost 1,400 years. It was a, a Japanese company, a construction company that built Buddhist temples. But they, they endured for 35 generations. And the reason they were able to endure so long is they faithfully followed the C4 principle. Now, they didn't really call it that or know it by that name, or maybe you've understood it, but they knew through general revelation the importance of having the right leader. And they were able to recognize the traits, the C4 traits, and they were very faithful to follow those traits. That was one of the, that's probably the key thing about the organization was they made sure they had the right leaders. When you have the right leaders, you can be multi-generational. You can endure. So these princi this principle is a principle that even pagan people building illicit value propositions, they can even use it for their own purposes. Eventually, though, common grace always fails. The last book of, book of uh, verse of Hosea points out that, that in the end, though they, the wicked have common grace to see truth, in the end, they will stumble in that truth. And so that happened with Kago Gumi in 2005. After 1,400 years of existence, they stumbled and fell. So I hope you see the power of the principle. I hope you see how God uses it. I hope you are convicted that this is the correct way to hire anyone to do anything. It doesn't matter. But particularly, it is an essential way to hire people to build your organization, particularly leaders. And may you have grace to learn to use it effectively for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen.